0: And I'm going to be strong. I know that Pastor James was kind of strong to, so, to to you all when I was out of town about reading your Bibles, about having your Bibles in church. I'm going to tell you right now that this passage we're going to read is just preparation for our study tonight. And it's not any preparation of of, of you know, linking this passage to what we're going to study in Jeremiah. It's preparation of the heart. And it convicted me so much that I can't uh, help but share it with you because I want you to be convicted too. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus is giving the parable of the sower. And we're not going to read the parable itself. Most of us have read it. I want to read the explanation of the parable because in Luke chapter 8 verse 11 this is where Jesus begins to explain the parable and he says now the parable is this and I want you to notice that it says the seed is the word of God the seed is the word of God stop there and think that, that's, that is a tremendous challenge to me. Because my seed basket here tonight is not going to be filled with anything of this world or any of my own ideas, thoughts, or anybody else's. With both hands, I'm going to sow the Word of God. And that's the way the Word of God has to go forth. Though seed is the Word of God seed grows into fruit or corn or grain grows into the wheat which is food I'm not giving you flowers and roses those are nice and those are pretty this is the word of God it is the meat of God's word it is your food without that food we go hungry and we die Jesus then says in verse 12, those by the wayside are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Do you know that in any church, even in this church, I can sow the seed of the word of God? And because the devil just doesn't want some of you all to listen, and he distracts you, And he's here to steal the seed from you. And that's the sad part about this parable. That week in and week out, God's word is given to you. It's cast out. And most people will hear, but may not listen. God doesn't want you to believe. Or I should say, the devil doesn't want you to believe. God wants you to believe for sure. But the devil doesn't want you to believe. But Notice verse 13. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, notice, receive the word with joy. And these have no root. Who believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. These have no root, folks. That means that the seed is on the ground. It may sink in just... On the surface, and maybe sprout just a little bit, but there's no root. Which means that you can hear the word and then rejoice for the moment, but as you leave, you go with nothing, and you don't remember anything. And it says they believe for a while and in temptation fall away. Saved, not saved. God knows. 14 says the the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. This happens to a lot of people who hear the Word and they love the Word, but they're more concerned about the things of this world than they are about the things of God. And those worldly things will choke out the fruit. And they'll take the nourishment that you want from the Lord. And they won't bring your fruit to maturity. But verse 15 says, But the ones that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word... And I want you to notice this, folks. Heard the word with a noble and good heart. Keep it and bear fruit with patience. The ones that fell on good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble and good heart. That's the ground. The noble and the good heart. And you know what that represents? Literally it means with an honest and good intentioned heart with honest motives you have come here tonight to receive from God you have come here tonight to hear God's word and to take it in with good motives not to judge anyone else not to judge the speaker not to judge what's going on here not to judge the air conditioning or the seats or the music or anything else we've come to have a good motive about what we hear and learn about Jesus Christ and if we don't have this noble and good heart We'll go away like those other three. Dead or no root or choked out. And my prayer is that you would have an honest and good heart about why you're here today. That's certainly every pastor's dream and desire that everybody that hears him will listen That is certainly still my desire. But I have to share something else with you. And I'll just read it to you and you can take it home and and you can do the study yourself. But Ezekiel 33 verses 30 through 33 says, As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses and they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother Please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come. Then they will know that a prophet has been among them. I'm not saying I'm a prophet and I'm not. All I'm saying is that week in, week out, the word of God goes forth. I want you to have understanding. You see, that's, that's the problem here. We want to make the word as clear as possible so that you can understand it. That's my job. I pray and ask God to give me the wisdom to do that so that you're not without the truth of God's Word. Understand. Listen. Receive. I can tell right now just by looking. There's some of you that aren't paying attention to what I'm saying. That's already started. And I've already said a lot. And I haven't even gotten to Jeremiah, 30, uh, Jeremiah 29 yet. So let's turn there. Jeremiah 29. We're going to continue our study in Jeremiah 29. We'll pray in just a moment. We covered last time the first 14 verses that contain one of the most precious verses in the Bible. Verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Verse 12, And you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. That was the hope that was being offered to a people without hope and a people with a false hope and those even that had a true hope. Tonight we pick up in verse 15, and let's read from verses 15 through 19 before we pray. The prophet goes on in the words of the Lord, and he says, Because you have said, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. Remember the false prophets? Here they are. The Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, concerning the king who sits on the throne of David, concerning all the people who dwell in this city, and concerning your brethren who have not gone out with you into captivity. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will send on them the sword, the famine, and the pestilence, and will make them like rotten figs that cannot be eaten. They are so bad. And I will pursue them with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence, And I will deliver them to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse, an astonishment, a hissing and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them. Because they have not heeded my words, says the Lord, which I sent to them by my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them. Neither would you heed, says the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we ask for the blessing of your Holy Spirit tonight. And I pray, Father, that indeed our hearts will be turned towards you. That all other distractions, all other things that may have been on our hearts and minds when we walk through these doors today have now been put aside and put away so that we can hear you, Lord, and hear you clearly and receive from you your word and your understanding because what good is your word unless we understand it Lord but we pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit you'll bring that understanding to us tonight Father may it be that your your word will go forth like seed that will attach to our very hearts with understanding and will grow and take root and make a difference and a change in our hearts and Lord we are so thankful for the work you've done in our junior high and high school kids that went on this retreat, Lord, we pray for them and ask that you would just continue to keep that fire burning in them and let that fire burn in us as well. Lord God, bring revival in these last days to your church. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now some of you may be familiar with the work of the old town crier. Y'all heard of town criers? Some of you. It was usually a man of considerable standing in his community due to his ability to read and write. He would write the proclamations given to him and then he would read them to the people who for the most part couldn't read and write. That was most of the people in the older days and times. And he had in certain cases the same privileges as the town's mayor, even in wearing the same kind of robe in the performance of his duties. The town choir was a very important person. One of his most important uh, responsibilities was that of reading a proclamation, usually at the door of the local inn, where most of the people were, and then he would nail the proclamation to the doorpost of the inn. Now the tradition resulted in certain expressions that we still have with us, posting a notice, or the post office, and the naming of newspapers as the post, Washington Post. New York Post. We used to have the El Paso Post at one time. But town criers also were given the task of letting the townspeople know what the exact time was throughout the day. They were the timekeepers of the city or the town. They'd say it's ten o'clock and all is well. It's eleven o'clock and all is well. It's twelve o'clock and all is well. Rest assured that if all was declared well, the townspeople could sleep with confidence that a new day would come at sunup. Conversely, though, the true prophets of God were men who were called to declare messages that many times announced not so good news. All was not well if the prophet came around with a message from God. Many times if a prophet was coming to town and people got wind of it, they would fall in fear before God because a prophet was near. And the prophet would have to send someone ahead to say, no, there's some good news coming, if there was good news coming. But for the most part, that was the responsibility and the task of the prophet. And while these prophets should have been revered and respected because they were the Lord's representatives, as even the town criers were protected as messengers of the authorities, whether it were, was a king or a, or a mayor of some sort. By the way, that's where the phrase, don't shoot the messenger comes from. You all heard that? It comes from the town crier. Don't shoot the messenger. He's just giving the proclamation. And so, just as the prophets were to be revered, Usually, they were taken to their deaths. Many times, the prophets were hated. Think about Hebrews chapter 11, verses 35 to 38. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured. That's speaking of the prophets. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. That's speaking of Isaiah, by the way. Historic tradition teaches us that Isaiah was, was, was sawn in two. Others were tempted or tested, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute, afflicted, tormented of whom the world was not worthy the world was not worthy of the prophets of God they wandered in deserts and mountains in dens and caves of the earth Jesus himself in Luke chapter 11 would say this in in verses 46 to 50 Jesus said woe to you also lawyers by the way if you are an attorney here tonight uh, you don't have to worry he's not talking about that kind of lawyer uh, lawyers were those who dealt with the law, the law, of, uh, uh, you know, the Torah and all. Woe to you also lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets. Notice, you build, tomb, you, you build the tombs of the prophets and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers. For they indeed killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles and some of them they will kill and persecute that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. So prophets were, were, you know, if you got the call of a prophet, uh, you can can actually go back and think about that conversation that God was having with Jeremiah back in chapter 1. You remember that about two and a half years ago? and 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 realize that, that that particular conversation was pretty tough because once you're called to be a prophet, you're not going to be a friend of a lot of people. Dale Carnegie is not going to be in your life. Meet friends and influence people or whatever it is. It ain't going to happen. So here in Jeremiah 29, the Lord made it clear that the prophets who were proclaiming that all is well because there were some And God says in these last six chapters that there were false prophets. So the Lord is making it clear that the prophets who were proclaiming that all is well with Judah and Jerusalem were preaching a deceptive message that was raising a false hope for peace and security and prosperity among the people. They were saying, well, listen, we're in trouble now. We have a few people that are in Babylon, but hey, two years and we'll all be back in the land and everything will be as it has always been. We'll be in in Jerusalem and everything will be cool. Everything will be fine. And the only good hope to come from anywhere for those without hope for those with false hope and even those with true hope was that was that which was offered by God himself to the people. And I read it earlier, verses 10 through 14. For thus saith the Lord, after 70 years are completed, not 2 years, like the false prophets were saying. After 70 years, you're going to have to go through captivity for 70 years. But after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you. This is God speaking to His own people. I will visit you and perform My good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. In other words, I will cause you to return to Jerusalem and to Judah. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Literally, that is a hopeful future. There is a hopeful future for Israel then and now. Because God has promised it. Because God has thought of them. And continues to think of them. And that goes for us as well, those of us who believe in God who trust in Christ and believe in the power of God and the Holy Spirit. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me. When, when, when Judah gets into captivity, what happens? They hang their harps. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. They hang their harps and they go into mourning. And the weeping, no more singing, no more rejoicing. They weren't even singing the blues. They were in such sorrow because of their captivity. And if they should have been in any sorrow whatsoever, it should have been sorrow because they had disobeyed God. They had rebelled against God. And they are where they were, or they were where they were because they disobeyed. A God who said, if you'll just obey me, I will bless you. So he says, you'll call upon me then and go and pray to me and I'll listen to you. Even in your captivity, even in Babylon, I'll listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me. With all your heart, and I I told you a couple of weeks ago that when you see that phrase, all your heart, to come to the Lord wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly, wholeheartedly, and you seek Him, you know what? You'll find Him. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you. This is speaking of more than Babylon, isn't it? We've talked about how the Jews were dispersed after 70 AD to all the world. But at the beginning of this century, I should say 20th century. I forgot we're in the 21st century. But at the beginning of the 20th century, they began to return to Israel, to the land. And in 1948... Once again, Israel was a nation because of God. They had enough opposition, but because of God, they are where they are. And you will, I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord. I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. It is at this point now that the prophet Jeremiah begins to give a word of explanation to the people that there is no assurance or guarantee to support the false prophets. So as the false prophets are going forth with their their prophecies, which are false, there's no guarantee. And he says in verse 15, because you have said, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. Oh, we've got prophets. They're there. Yeah, they were there. But therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David, concerning all the people who dwell in this city, and concerning your brethren who have not gone out with you into captivity. So who was on the throne at the time? It was a a bad king it was a wicked king concerning your brethren who have not gone out with you into captivity the ones who stayed in, in Judah and Jerusalem the ones that said if you don't, if you don't go in captivity as I, as I want you to you're going to get killed so here comes, the, here comes the message again thus says the Lord of hosts behold I will send on them the sword the famine and the pestilence and will make them like rotten figs that cannot be eaten they're so bad I don't know if you've ever eaten a rotten fig. I have. And I've got to tell you, it's really bad. Yucko. And I will pursue them with a sword, with famine, and with pestilence, and I will deliver them to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse. Notice, to be a curse. You know that God called us as believers in Jesus Christ to be a blessing, He's never called us to be a curse. These people are the ones who are supposed to love God and serve God, yet they have rebelled against God, and now they're going to become a curse. To be a curse, an astonishment, a hissing. You all know when the bad guy shows up in, in, in one of the old movies, everybody will go, hiss, hiss, right? That, that's the whole idea here. A hissing, it was, it was, to, it, it was a symbol, it was, it was some kind of an expression of, ooh, you know, stay away kissing. It also sounded a lot like a snake, didn't it? Doesn't it? Kiss. That's what they were. And a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them, because they have not heeded my words, says the Lord, which I sent to them by my prophets, by my servants the prophets. Rising up early and sending them, neither would you heed, says the Lord. Interesting that he even says the people who are in captivity had not heeded the word of God. So Jeremiah had shattered their optimistic forecasts by announcing that those who had not been exiled were destined for the sword, famine, pestilence and would be like rotten figs that couldn't be eaten because they were so bad. What do you do with something that you don't like in your mouth? It just gives you that bad taste. You spew it out of your mouth, don't you? In a sense, he was spewing these people out of his mouth. From this one verse, verse 17, if you go back and look at it about the rotten figs, the whole chapter of, of chap- the whole chapter 24. By the way, we studied that a while back, but when we did, it was about rotten- it was about figs, wasn't it? But read the first part of chapter 24. It's a short chapter. The first part about it was about good figs, and then the other part was about bad figs. Well, let's look at verses 3 through 7 of Jeremiah 24, and notice how this supports itself, how the, the Word of God supports itself here. Then the Lord said to me, What do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, Figs. The good figs, very good, and the bad, very bad, which cannot be eaten. They're so bad. And again, the Word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Like these good figs, so will I acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah. So remember that he says, if you go to Judah, you'll be good, you'll be okay, you'll be protected. And, and just, you know, follow what, what they tell you to do over there. Buy your houses, buy your, you know, whatever you need, and and, and just you live over there. Raise your families over there. So he's saying, I'm, I, they're the good figs. I've sent out this place for their own good into the land of the Chaldeans, For I will set my eyes on them for good and I will bring them back to this land I will build them and not pull them down and I will plant them and not pluck them up then I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord so there's that promise and hope again if people would just obey God which they did and go into captivity that God would bring them back and then they would know him that he is the Lord and uh, and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart now notice in verses 8 through 10 of chapter 24. And as the bad things which cannot be eaten, they're so bad, surely, thus saith the Lord, so will I give up Zedekiah, the king of Judah, they're, you know, the last bad king of Judah, his princes, the residue of Jerusalem, who remain in this land, and those who dwell in the land of Egypt. Remember, they, had a, they tried to have a compact with Egypt so that they can go against Babylon, but that was going to fail. So some of them went to Egypt, and they were going you know, to suffer judgment for that. I will deliver them to trouble into all the kingdoms of the earth for their harm, to be a reproach and a byword, a taunt and a curse in all places where I shall drive them. And I will send the sword, the famine, the pestilence among them till they are consumed from the land that I gave to them and their fathers. How many times does God have to say something before it becomes true? How many times? He only has to say something once. But if you'll read through these last six chapters of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29 and before... You realize that He says things over and over to get to get the point to them that if you will obey Me, I will bless you, but if you don't, this is what's going to happen. I think that's that's fair from a holy God, isn't it? He made it very clear, but it isn't about fairness; it's about obedience. And they weren't obedient. And two things become important in this passage in chapters 24 and 29. Dealing with the rotten figs. First of all, what the exiles would do with the word of God to find the Lord and know him in spite of the false prophets. They're going to have to deal with the false prophets in Babylon. So what they do with the word of God is important. And then secondly, the extent of the consequences of having disobeyed the voice of the Lord through His prophets. The consequences. And the extent of the consequences for having disobeyed. You see, the word if, in our language, it's a small word, isn't it? I-F. The word if becomes an enormously large word for the children of Judah. And they will remember this throughout all of their captivity and throughout all of their punishment and, and uh, through all of what God has done to, uh, you know, to bring discipline upon them. If, what's the simple command? If you will obey me, then I will bless you. If you do this, then I will do this. Right? Simple. It's a little word, if. But how big is it? Well, let's look at Jeremiah 18. Go back a little bit in your, in your, in your Bible and, and look at verses 8 through 10. Here's a pretty, pretty good example here. If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil. Uh, it's not really just speaking generally to nations. It's really speaking to Israel and to Judah. If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil... By the way, remember that chapter 18 is dealing with the potter and the clay. So it is dealing with Israel. It is dealing with God's people. If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. In other words, I, I will not bring that disaster if they turn from the evil. And the instant I speak concerning the nation and concerning the kingdom to build and to plan it, if, notice that the word if again, verse 10, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. In other words, if it goes on to do evil, then whatever good was promised, he will relent. In other words, he will not do that good. Now, God can do that, folks. I, I know that you know, we have to make that clear because too often people say, well, that's, a, that's kind of a mean God. No. God is a merciful God. If you'll hear my voice. You see, it, it comes down to this. Are we going to have a God-centered life or a man-centered life? Bottom line, that's, that's really it. Are we going to have a God-centered life or, or a man-centered life? Are we going to have a God-centered life or a self-centered life? Are we going to have a God-centered Christianity or a man-centered Christianity? Where man changes the rules. Or where, where man, you know, wants heaven on his own terms. I don't know about you, but I want heaven on God's terms. Because that's what Jesus said when He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We have the promise of everlasting life because we know Christ. And that promise is not compromised because God is faithful to keep His Word. So It's not compromised on His side, is it? But when we begin to trust, eternal life is truly given. But what is you know what is the evidence the evidence is a changed life the evidence is a changed life so understand that this is not a mean God well there's the, there's the God of the law in the Old Testament the God of love in the New Testament no God's not schizophrenic In all of the Bible God is holy 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 In all of the Bible God is love God is merciful God is gracious God is truth God is righteous God is just From Genesis to Revelation that's our God. If we want to really know God, we need to know Jesus. Because Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, He is the express image of the Father. So people get a lot of funny ideas about who God is. But you've got to come to know Him. And when you do, you will begin to understand why things are the way they are. We, we will look at things from a totally different perspective. The natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit, so you shouldn't even try unless you say, you know what, I realize that I'm a sinner. I need to come to know Christ. Therefore, I surrender my life to Jesus. I ask Him to affect His blood upon my life the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins I, I believe that he died on the cross for me and I confess that with my mouth and believe it in my heart and we know that from Romans chapter 10 if that takes place in a person's life then that person will be saved salvation has come to that household the heart well I drifted a little bit let's drift right back Now we understand a little bit of who God is here. So now the Lord is going to deal with the ringleaders. The ringleaders of the false peace and prosperity movement and society in Babylon. Because there were false prophets in Babylon. Telling the people, you're only going to be here two years and we'll get back to Jerusalem. Don't believe all that stuff about 70 years. Don't believe all that stuff about reading God's word and reading the Bible and following it and doing the things that it says. Listen... God's God's merciful, God's gracious, you make a mistake here, you do this, you do that, you know, it's okay. You live however you want, you know, if you said a prayer to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you said that ten years ago, but still you're living in sin, it's okay because you said the prayer. That's not what the Bible says, is it? Do you understand where I'm going with this? We have to be careful about false prophets and false teachers, even with the issue of salvation. But now God's dealing with with these ringleaders, with these false uh, peace and prosperity people in Babylon. Verse 20, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. See, this is a very strong statement in the Hebrew. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. Listen, if a prophet said that, as Jeremiah is saying it, people either listen to it or have to run as far away as they could. Hear the word of the Lord, all of you, or all you of the captivity whom I have sent from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the son of Koliah and Zedekiah, the son of Ma- Maaziah. Now, this is not the Zedekiah who was a king. This is another Zedekiah. Who prophesied a lie to you in my name. So these are, the, these are the false prophets. These are two of them. Ahab, the son of Koliath, and Zedekiah, the son of Maaziah, who prophesied a lie to you in my name. Behold... I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall slay them before your eyes. And because of them, a curse shall be taken up by all the captivity of Judah who are in Babylon, saying, The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab. This is a curse, by the way. The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. Barbecue. Anybody here? All right. Just want to make sure you're listening to me. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty strong stuff. Roasted in the fire. Because they have done disgraceful things. Well, listen to this. Because they have done disgraceful things in Israel, having com- or have committed adultery with their neighbor's wives, and have spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them. Indeed, I know and am a witness, says the Lord. Now I want you to note the straightforward indictment of the exiles. The exiles are being indicted here in verse 20. You hear the word of the Lord, all of you in the captivity, because you weren't listening to it. They had refused to listen to the warnings. But God had not given up on them. The Lord exhorted the exiles to hear and obey the word of God. If he tells you to hear the word, guess what? If you hear it, you're doing right. If God says, hear the word, you're doing right. As for the two false prophets mentioned, Ahab, the son of Kaliah, and Zedekiah, the son of Maaziah, not much is known about them except that their names were somewhat famous. Why? Well, there was a King Ahab before. He wasn't a good guy. And that was way before um, Moby Dick, so... It wasn't about him, but... but uh, Ahab was a name that was somewhat famous because of having been a king of Israel and then of course Zedekiah was was the name of the king who was really a puppet king in Jerusalem at the time what we do know is that they took the lead in preaching in the name of the Lord listen, they took the lead in preaching in the name of the Lord but the message that they did uh, preach, the message that they were preaching was a lie they were preaching lies to the people. Well, their brazen lies and even their sinful actions, as we see in, in chapter 23—I mean, in verse 23—it would never go unpunished. And folks, you, you you can't sneak by God. You can't sneak, you know, around the Lord with sin. These guys were not only preaching lies and deceptions but they were living uh, immorally and it would not go unpunished you know what Jesus said about the false prophets I know I've read this to you before but I'll read it again Matthew 7 verse 15 through 20 he said beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing you know there are a lot of false prophets today on TV and radio sometimes. It used to be, they used to hear the wackiest kind of people on on the radio, on AM radio. Does that even exist anymore? AM radio at midnight on, uh, you would get these uh, radio stations from Del Rio, Texas or something that had some 100,000 watt, you know, antenna that was, you know, 900 feet in the sky and it covered you know, most of the United States. And they would have these preachers that would come on that were just so uh, outrageous. They were charlatans. And, you know, they, they would talk about all these meetings that they would have and people were getting healed. They were throwing wheelchairs in the air and, you know, all kinds of stuff was happening. And But if you send the money, boy, God would, you know, they'd send you a, a handkerchief that, the, you know, he had blessed. It was probably the one in his back pocket. They'd send you that and, you know, boy, you'd get the healing that you want. Man, it's all over. It's still around. Still around. They come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. See, they were ravenous wolves in in Babylon. They were preaching lies and they were uh, committing adultery with, with their neighbor's wives. It seems like that's happened in our time, too. You'll know them by their fruits, it says. You'll know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. That's obvious, but it's profound. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Now here's the point. Verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and what? Thrown into the fire. Remember that because of Ahab and Zedekiah. Therefore by their fruits you will know them. Well evidently Nebuchadnezzar would hear that these false prophets were prophesying a Babylonian downfall. Which in the king's ears sounded a lot like rebellious remarks. That's how Nebuchadnezzar comes into the picture here. And so he would put them to death in the sight of the exiles to serve as an object lesson on the dangers of provoking rebellion. The mode of death was a familiar one for Babylon. If you've read the book of Daniel, you know what it is. Being roasted in a fire, as in a burning fiery furnace. As seen a few times in the book of Daniel. It's interesting that in verse 22... Of our text here, the names of Ahab and Zedekiah would be associated with a curse for their being burned in a fiery furnace. <clears throat> and in this verse, there would be an amazing play on words in the Hebrew, along with the name Koliah that you find in verse twenty one. Ahab was the son of Koliah. Now the word Koliah there in verse twenty one literally means the called of the Lord. Koliah means the called of the Lord. You see, here's, here's the irony. These guys were... Uh, well, Ahab was, was uh, the son of Koliah. They're going around saying that they're the called of the Lord, but in fact, they're the cursed of the Lord. So there's the first play on words here. So Koliah means the call of the Lord. A curse in Hebrew is the word kalala. Very close in the Hebrew. While the word for to roast, if you're going to get roasted... you use the Hebrew word kala which sounds very much like the Spanish kala you know eso kala you get in the fire you're going to get burned some of you are thinking what's he talking about forget it so these men thought that they were called to the Lord you see they thought they were called to the Lord but they were in fact cursed to the Lord and and so they were found being roasted of the Lord because you know that, that was their punishment And so it was a word that uh, was, you know, play on words is to remind you of something. So in the Hebrew, it was very, very clear. These guys thought they were called, they were cursed, but the curse was eventually leading to their uh, roasted, roasting. Okay, so anyway, what a contrast. What a contrast to the three Hebrew young men in the book of Daniel chapter 3 who faced the fiery furnace And if you remember, the reason why they had to face the fiery furnace was because even though these men were loyal to Nebuchadnezzar, the Chaldeans who were in Nebuchadnezzar's court, well, they hated the Hebrews. So they would come up with these laws that would have, you know, all of a sudden, you know, this this giant uh, statue that was built... And everybody at a certain time when the trumpets would blow was, was to bow down to this statue. But these Hebrew young men wouldn't do it Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They wouldn't bow down to this thing. And so Nebuchadnezzar was furious. And he had them arrested and had them taken to the fiery furnace. And he commanded that that fiery furnace would, would, would be heated up seven times more than it. Ever had been, or that it was usually heated up to. It was so hot that when they brought them to throw them into the fire, that the people who brought them were consumed by the fire. That's how hot it was. But as the three Hebrew young men are thrown into the fire, and by the way, if you remember what they said to Nebuchadnezzar, say, you know, do whatever you want with us. Our God can deliver us from this fire. But even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down to your statue and we're not bowing down to you. Off into the fire they go. While everybody who throws them into the fire is burned, they're not. And Nebuchadnezzar saw that and he looked and saw that they were in there kind of just having a good time. But there was a fourth person there. Like as unto the Son of God, the deliverance came because Jesus was with him. Jesus in an appearance in the Old Testament, was called the Christophania, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, was, his, was their deliverance. in verse 24 of Daniel chapter 3, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste, and he spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he says, Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning, fiery furnace, and he spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. And the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together. And they saw these men on whose bodies of fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were the garments affected. And the smell of fire was not on them. Not even the smell of fire was attached to them. You go to Rudy's. You go get a barbecue sandwich. When you come out, man, you smell like that sandwich. And you weren't even close to the fire. These guys didn't even smell like fire. You see, when God delivers, He delivers to the uttermost. And when God saves, He saves to the uttermost. What a contrast to two men who said they were prophets but weren't. And they were roasted in the fire. Well, in the next portion of our text, we've got to move on here. We see another warning by Jeremiah, this time to the prophet, seeking to imprison Jeremiah. Verse 24. It's another letter now that is going to be written by Jeremiah to the people. You shall also speak to Shemaiah, the (coughs) the Nehelamite, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, you have sent letters in your name to all the people who are at Jerusalem, to Zephaniah, the son of Maaziah, the priest. Now, Zephaniah, of course, being the son of Maaziah, the priest, is the brother of Zedekiah, the son of Maaziah, who was just barbecued. To Zephaniah, the son of Maaziah, the priest, and to all the priests, saying, The Lord has made you priest instead of Jehoiada, the priest, so that there should be officers in the house of the Lord over every man who is demented. And considers himself a prophet. Now, Shemaiah is writing this letter to this uh, Zephaniah to tell him, Listen, that's Jeremiah here. Jeremiah is demented. And he considers himself a prophet. That you should put him in prison and in the stocks. Remember what we said about prophets? Jeremiah was the prophet of God, not Shemaiah. But Shemaiah is writing a letter saying that in the name of the Lord, the Lord has made you priest instead of Jehoiada. Telling Zephaniah, listen, you may be a deputy uh, priest, but uh, you need to get busy here with this demented madman. So now therefore, why have you not reproved Jeremiah of Anathoth who makes himself a prophet to you? So you see the letter that is uh, attacking and uh, uh, well attacking Jeremiah and wanting that they put him in prison. For he has sent us, or he has sent to us in Babylon, saying, "This captivity is long. Build houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat their fruits." So they received the prophecy that was given to them to remain in, in, in Babylon for 70 years. But the false prophets are saying, "No way, Jose. We're we're going to get out. We've been prophesying peace. We're going to get out in in two years." And this guy's a nut. So Shemaiah, in writing letters to the priests, especially to a deputy priest named Zephaniah, he makes three major charges in his letters. Three major charges. The first is that Jeremiah was a madman, calling him demented and a false prophet, and he should be arrested and imprisoned. Secondly he implied that Zephaniah was too lenient in dealing with Jeremiah. If Jeremiah was a false prophet, it was his duty to arrest and imprison Jeremiah. So he's telling Zephaniah, you haven't done enough to get rid of Jeremiah. And then thirdly, Jeremiah was teaching a false and negative message of hopelessness in verse 28. That it would be too many decades before they would be freed from exile and return to the land. So now because, what's interesting here you know, Jeremiah's instructions for the people to settle down and to adjust to their new life by building houses and planting gardens had just infuriated the false prophets of the exile. Obviously, his message was a threat to their position as prophets among the exiles. And if the people believed Jeremiah instead of them, then their livelihood could be at stake for the people would reject them as frauds. This is something that needs to take places now you know with some of these false prophets they need to be rejected because they're leading people astray so they had to get rid of uh, Jeremiah the false prophets had no choice but I want you to notice what happened in verse uh, 29 it says that Zephaniah the priest read this letter in the hearing of Jeremiah the prophet he says you know I'm going to let Jeremiah see this letter and the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying send to all those in captivity, saying, Thus says the Lord concerning Shemaiah the Nehillamite. So now, after Jeremiah reads the letter, God speaks to Jeremiah to write another letter to the people. And so he sends the uh, letter to the captivity and he says to them, Concerning Shemaiah the Nehillamite, because Shemaiah has prophesied to you and I have not sent him. Now, this is God speaking. God is saying, I did not send Shemaiah. And he has caused you to trust in a lie. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will punish Shemiah the Nahilamite and his family. He shall not have anyone to dwell among his people or this people, nor shall he see the good that I will do for my people, says the Lord, because he has taught rebellion against the Lord. So Zephaniah now, the deputy priest to whom Shemiah's letter had been sent, was apparently sympathetic to Jeremiah. So he read the letter to the Lord's prophet and so Jeremiah would send this other letter to the exiles in Babylon warning them about this Shemaiah and that he stood condemned to the Lord for two reasons. He was a false prophet who claimed to be sent by God but that he was a self-appointed prophet not a God-sent messenger. Secondly, he misled the people deceiving them that they would be returning to the promised land soon and be richly blessed by God. But because he was a false prophet, Shemaiah would never be accused of preaching the whole counsel of God's word. And that's what a prophet needed to do. A prophet needed to proclaim and declare the whole counsel of God. And Shemaiah, Ahab, Zedekiah, these prophets never did that. God's word included the demand for the people to repent of their sins and live righteously or else face God's judgment. That was part of their, of their prophecy, of their prophetic word. Those guys didn't preach that. What did they preach? Peace, safety. Does this not remind you of the, of, of the word that the Apostle Paul spoke to the church? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, when he said there will come a time when, some, when they're going to be saying peace and safety, but instead sudden judgment will come? What's happening today in our world? People are going around saying, oh, listen, we need to work for peace and safety. Yeah, where's the safety? Has anybody seen any peace in the world today? So, by focusing only on the promises of God's blessings, the false prophets led the people into thinking that they could live as, as they wished. Ignoring God's holy commandments. And as a result, the Lord's condemnation would fall on and his family. Look at verse 32. Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I will punish Shemaiah the Nahilamite and his family. He shall not have anyone to dwell among this people, nor shall he see the good that I will do for my people, says the Lord, because he has taught rebellion against the Lord. He has taught rebellion against the Lord. Teaching people to rebel against the true word of God. Shemaiah would have no surviving descendants to see God's promises fulfilled. His family name would be completely erased before the seven years of exile had passed. Not a single descendant would be alive to return to the promised land. And here's the reason why. Because by not believing God and by misleading the people, Shemaiah had taught them to disobey and rebel against the Lord. It is not a good thing to lead people astray. It is not a good thing to lead people astray. Me, let me give you a couple of examples. Malachi 2, verses 7 through 9. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament in your Bible, right before the book of Matthew. So it's just a little further le, uh, right of, of center in your Bible. Last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. Why am I telling you this? Because I want you to find it in your Bibles, I want you to see it. Malachi 2, verses 7 through 9. Notice that it says, For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth. Are you listening carefully to me? For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, I also have made you contemptible and base before all the people, because you have not kept my ways, but have shown partiality in the law. You see, the priests were to keep the law, and were to show the people the benefits of keeping the law. But if they showed partiality in the law, letting some get by, because of money. By the way, read the book of Malachi and you see a lot of the, the corruption that they were doing in this, in that time. Showing partiality in the law is, is very much like what's happening in the law of our country today. You know, where, where justice is a, is a woman holding scales but has a blindfold right. Why? Because justice is blind. You have to know the evidence, hear the evidence. Today justice is peaking. Justice is peaking, and we're and we're 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 revolving around political correctness instead of the law that was, by the way, based upon Judeo-Christian ethic and morality. Mark chapter 9 verse 42, this is what Jesus says. He says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me, or one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If we cause anyone, any child of God, any child to stumble, it would be better for us to be cast into the sea with a millstone around our neck. If you've ever been to Israel, you've seen some millstones that are huge. You you wouldn't float. In a lighter note, Paul says in Romans 14, verse 13, Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Even in the church, we could cause people to stumble. And we're not called to do that. So as we conclude this chapter, let's reflect on the twofold thought that permeates throughout the last six chapters of Jeremiah here, from chapter 29 back six verses. First of all, let's, let's reflect on this, this thought, that God has a future for his people. God has a future for His people. He will not cast them off. God will not cast off His people. The promise to Abraham is still in effect. Secondly, in the meantime, His people must be patient. God controls His own agenda. Now, think about these thoughts, folks. I'm asking you to reflect on these thoughts. God controls his own agenda. I've got to tell you, God doesn't roll dice. Do you understand what I'm saying? God doesn't flip cards. God has seen the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. Because He alone is God. And so, in controlling His own agenda, that includes His own timetable. We are called to wait on the Lord. God's people were called to wait upon the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. No matter what trouble, what trial you face, they that wait upon the Lord shall be strengthened. They were called, and we are called, to trust in His Word. If the Lord says, after 70 years, I will visit you, If he he makes that so clear, then at the end of 70 years, to the day, and to the hour, to the moment, God would grant them exit from their exile. They are to trust his word. And they were to be patient. Build your families. Grow your crops. Feed your people trust in me. You see, that's what we need to go through here. I'm going to give you one more scripture, then we're going to close. But that's what we need to do right now. A few times I've said, we're living in the last days. Some of you would say, you say that all the time. I know. Why? Because I'm warning you. That God's word is true. I'm warning you that Jesus, what He said, is coming to pass. It is coming to pass. And the very key to knowing that, not the only key, but the very key for all of that is the state of Israel, the nation of Israel. No, in no way could there have been a state of Israel if God's hand was not upon His people. For them to stay in existence for all of these 61 years. For them to stay in existence when they are surrounded by armies greater than them in number, in size, and with, with the hatred in their hearts to destroy Israel, and that they're still around, is a testimony that God's word is true. And Israel becomes key to understanding the last day's prophecies. But let me just give you this. Luke 21, I'm going to close with this. This is an encouragement for you people. It's an encouragement for all of us here. If we love the Lord and trust in in Him. And there will be signs in the sun. Luke chapter 21, verse 25. And there will be signs in the sun. Anybody know that we had some kind of an eclipse yesterday? Signs are growing more and more. Signs of the, in the sun and the moon and the stars. You can talk to astronomers today. There's all kinds of stuff going on in the heavens. And on the earth, distress of nations. You know, I could stop right there. That says it all, doesn't it? Distress of nations. Is there any nation not in distress today? The United States of America, a nation that was blessed by God at its inception, today is in one of, its, one of its most dangerous positions and places that it's ever been. Economically, morally, and spiritually. We may be the most distressed of nations, because we have turned from God as a nation. On the earth is the stress of nations with perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring. Men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven will be shaken. A lot of heart problems. A lot of stress problems. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift your heads for your redemption. Draw us near. Do you know that that's now? That now we are to look up, now we are to lift our heads because our redemption draws near every day that comes could be the day of Jesus return will we be ready for that day will you be ready for that day will I be ready for that day I sure hope so that's why I have to keep looking up I look at the clouds folks I really do I, want to see, I just want to see Jesus just blow through the man. You might think I'm crazy. I don't care if you think I'm crazy. I know Jesus is coming because He said He was. Okay, I'm going to give you one more scripture. I just got to. I just got to. John. Chapter 14. This is it. You know why I need to read this? because some of you may be distressed and perplexed. I'm going to tell you if you know Jesus Christ you don't have to be you don't have to be this is this is the very word of Jesus to his disciples and to us let not your heart be troubled John 14 Let me have him. We got to see him. does that not encourage you doesn't that give you enough to just rejoice and and say you know what I'm going to start lifting up my head I'm going to be looking up why because my redemption draws near Jesus is coming and he's coming for his church and he's coming for us it's time to get ready folks I don't know how many times I've got to tell you that I believe that. I've been preaching from this pulpit, many different places, but from this pulpit, I've been preaching for 25 years. And I'm not tired of it yet. Because I can, I I tell you what, tomorrow may be the day. Anybody excited about that? I am. Tomorrow may be the day. So are we ready? I hope so. I don't know. You guys... I must have put you to sleep or something. You guys are just not excited about Jesus coming. I am excited about Jesus coming. Let's pray. Let's pray. Come on.